I'm Anna. And I'm Bethany and we're trying to review every Jane Austen adaptation ever. This is Austen Translation. So I'm a big Austen fan and I've read the books. I love a good period drama in general but I am a particular fan of Austen and her work. And this year I've set myself the challenge of trying to watch every Austen adaptation ever and I've managed to persuade Anna to come along for the ride. And I'm an Austen novice. I listened to the audiobook of Pride and Prejudice when I was a kid. I've seen the two main adaptations of that. I accidentally saw Emma because Parasite was booked out, but I was actually quite into it. So this week we watched the 2007 Northanger Abbey. We tried to watch the 1987 version like we promised last week, but we couldn't find it online, so we're going to have to order it. Yeah, we're going to each have to order a DVD individually and then I guess try and sync our watching. Like we'll have to just press play on the DVD at the same time or something because usually we use a some kind of uh, streaming thing where we can actually synchronise our views. How 90s. <laughs> I know, very, it's like very authentic, isn't it? It will be very 90s. But, and we ended up, we, we figured it is best to stick with Northanger Abbey, especially as neither of us had seen anything to do with it before or read it. So we were both coming in fresh, so to speak. Northanger Abbey virgins. <laughs> well, it's funny you should... Which is, yeah, which is a great segue into the story of Northanger Abbey, which features... So many sexual fantasies. <laughs> yeah, it's the horniest of Jane Austen films that I've seen so far. It's definitely the most risque, but we should start, as we always do, with the attractiveness and the likability. I think we should just go with the leading men. Yeah, yeah, no one needs to rate the attractiveness of any female. Normally I say leading man, but I feel like there's several at play here. Yeah, the leading men. Yeah, the men in general. So you've got Henry Tilner, yeah. who um, is Catherine Morland's primary love interest. Yeah. He, I don't find him attractive. Like, I find him, he grows on me and he's sweet, but... Yeah, he's he's got, he kind of has a slightly Jude Law-ish face, though, which I'm into. Mm. But also, he's like, I, I said this while we were watching, his smile, like, just sort of dances on the boundary between being a nice smile and being a creepy smile so like he's always smiling like a lot yeah like he's like the opposite of Mr Darcy in that he is he's just constantly smiling to himself to other people he's got a really big mouth as well like it's a very wide smile but no I think he's quite he's quite good looking I was into it I wasn't like dang but I was like Meh. in terms of, of Austin heroes yeah he's not like your traditional no no I mean but then I was saying I was saying like Jane Austen seems to have a bit of a thing for vicars because and this is funny because my own dad is a vicar J- Jane Austen's dad was a vicar I believe um yes and I was like well that's a bit Oedipal because she keeps putting like vicars as like so we had in Sense and Sensibility Edward Ferris was wanted to be a vicar and then Mr. Collins and Mr. Co- well yeah there's Mr. Collins but he was like not an attractive character so I guess she did she she did fair play she's got like a diversity of vicars but um 
as diversity goes. Uh, but then, but then this time there's also um, Henry Tilner, who is a dishy vicar. I was telling yeah. my dad about this. I was excited for him. I was like, "You finally got like because he watched Pride and Prejudice with us." Um, well, so he listened to this podcast. So, hi, Dad. Um, <laughs> but he was like, "Oh, I feel like Mr. Collins got a bad rap. He's just trying, you know. He's just trying to. He's just a little." And I was like, "Oh, do you relate to him?" And he was like, "Yeah." Um, but then this time, this time we got a dishy vicar. So. Yeah, and yeah, like, I suppose, like, that's the thing, like, he grows on you, and yeah, by the end, you're, I suppose, you're a bit like, yeah, he's a bit dishy, but... Don't know why I've started saying dishy now, as if I'm some kind of 50-year-old woman. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's how this is going, I guess. Yeah, like, he grows on you, but I think it's more his personality grows on you, and you start to like him. Yeah, but I I feel like from the very beginning, you quite like his personality, he's very charismatic. No, but I think in this film, you aren't sure who to trust. Yeah, I mean, he also has that creepy smile, so you're like, oh, are you just plotting something? You look like you might be plotting. Yeah, like, you're like, are you a wrong Because there is a lot of wrong in yeah, the film. Yeah, but I didn't, I like, I think generally in Jane Austen, it's quite clear who's going to be a wrong and who's not going to be a wrong Yeah, normally it is. Like, normally you can tell immediately who is who. But with this one, then with several different wrong-uns so you weren't sure when the next wrong-un was going to pop up yeah I mean to be honest I never had the impression that Henry was going to be a wrong-un I just went in suspicious of everyone fair enough (laughs) I went in so like yeah he's likable but I would say in terms of of Austin heroes like no harm to the actor but um then on the other hand you've got John Thorpe who is really weird yeah very weird didn't like him I think that's how you can tell so you you kind of like you've got this kind of checkbox when you're like you're scoping out who's going to be the main love interest in this thing yeah and it's like usually they either they are like very well to do and their parents will not allow them to marry someone poor that is always the case if they're actively well like yeah because John Thornton was like actively pursuing her in a quite creepy way and I was like well that's that's you ticked off you're not going to be the main guy but yeah from the very beginning I was because it's also you usually you can tell that someone's going to be the leading man because they'll have a kind of they usually have the conversation when they're dancing he'll ask her to dance and then he'll be like Oh, and I should probably ask you how long you've been in Bath, or uh, isn't the weather lovely today? And they have a little ha 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 about the conventions of society, um, and it's all very like, uh, we're yeah, like we're just having a fun, sarcastic time. Um, and usually, that's how you can tell because you, she's not doing that with John Thorpe, she, like, and that's how you can tell they have a connection because they're like making uh, they're making jokes about the prudishness of Regency society. Yeah, I think, yeah, like, you can tell, I suppose. But because I haven't seen it before, you have to kind of treat... And also, there did seem... This was, like, that first scene where she goes to Bath with her aunt and uncle and they go into the ball. It's definitely, like, the darker side of... Oh, yeah, didn't like that. There's a lot of creepy men. There's, like, people kind of brushing up against... Gave me anxiety just watching that scene. Even the aunt feels way out of her depth and you're a bit like she's not with anyone that she knows. Both of the women are, like, 
extremely vulnerable in this position. Yeah. So it kind of gave it a completely different edge because normally the ballroom scenes in Austin things are these like heavily romanced based flirtations where the women kind of have a resemblance of control over the situation but this was very much like that feeling of when you go into a party and you don't know anyone yeah it was kind of chaotic whereas usually like in ballroom scenes everything's very controlled yeah and it was I think it was probably a much more realistic view of yeah how it was. Also, we do know that Jane hated Bath. <laughs> like she lived in Bath for a bit and she hated her time there. And I was like, you can definitely tell that in Northanger <laughs> Abbey. The way she kind of portrays it as being like sleazy. Yeah. Cause Isabella, I remember Isabella being like, Oh, you're in Bath now. She's like, welcome to the jungle. It's a bit like you're in Las Vegas now. <laughs> yeah, what happens in Bath stays in Bath. We should clarify, so John Thorpe and Isabella Thorpe were like these people that Catherine seems to meet immediately. So the way it goes is, the way the characters are introduced is her and her aunt go to the um, the the ballroom, the tea room or whatever it is. And then she bumps into Henry... Uh, well the aunt bumps into Henry he like snags her with a pin then (laughs) he starts talking to her about her dress and he shows his understanding of muslin and that's when we really know that he is marriage material because he understands muslin yeah and I think that's a strong part of his characteristics that he's supposed to not be like your typical man he's not like other boys he knows about muslin he likes reading as well. That's cannot mentioned. understate the Muslim knowledge. <laughs> they do mention that so many times, and then they bring it, they circle it back at the end. <laughs> but that, but no. So then, and then he, and then Henry kind of saves them by introducing them uh, to people. He gets he gets the master of ceremonies to come and introduce him to the other people because you can't introduce yourself to people apparently um yeah. this time and then um and then he asks her to dance but then the re- the way that they like end up uh we first see john and isabel where is it isabella isabella is that john's like staring at her so yeah no that did that did kind of fill me with dread and then you've got john thorpe who is supposed to who we think is the villain of this piece and i would argue the villain changes hands halfway through Mm. because you've got john thorpe who is just he's not a wrongan in the sense no i mean he was clearly after her because he thought she was rich yeah but also i don't think he had any intention of trying to get his way with her well no he wanted to marry her and that was he wasn't like he wasn't a rake he didn't belong in the shed so to speak um which is my new thing that i'm trying to coin leading her on with false promises he genuinely like obviously because he thought she had money but he genuinely wanted to marry her and was interested in pursuing her in a legitimate way he was just a bit of a like brute but then but then he found out she wasn't rich I guess and well like I don't know how she wouldn't have known oh I guess it's because of the aunt and uncle and they assume like maybe he stopped pursuing her because um yeah Isabella kind of um found out that, that the aunt and uncle weren't giving. But also because Catherine told Isabella that she had no intention of marrying him. Oh, yeah, that's right. Fair enough. Yeah, so I don't think he even got turned off because of the money thing. He got 
Like, I think he thought she had money, but I don't think that's why he stopped pursuing her. I think he stopped pursuing her because Catherine had told Isabella that she was no, she was not interested. He was weird, that guy, because he, like you said, he was kind of vacillating between this very, like, posh, proper way of speaking. And then he would just start talking, like, he would say some shocking things. I think he said, he said something about hot stuff at one point. I can't remember what he described as hot stuff. And I was like, what? Would they ever say that in Austinian times? Yeah, it was weird. It was like the actor went from being quite posh Regency to being a normal person with a slight London accent. And I was like, this I is... think it's supposed to be that he is like, he's a bit rough around the edges. Yeah, he's that's like... what I was saying. I think he's kind of just a bit of a like, I don't know, like like a brute kind of thing, but not. Yeah, he's just, he's just, he's not Henry, is he? He's not baby Henry. Yeah, he's not the gentle soul that Catherine needs. <laughs> he's not a vicar. That's what it is. Yeah, that's what it is. And then, obviously, we have Captain Tilner, Frederick, who I think. He's a rake. He belongs in the shed. He's the worst villain we've come across so far because, or if we think about it, so in in Sense and Sensibility, well, there's like Willoughby, right? Yeah, he literally like basically kidnapped a fifteen-year-old. That was Wickham. Oh, sorry, yeah, Wickham. I always get, they they all have names beginning with W. Okay. <laughs> So Wickham, yeah, no, but he does marry her. That's the difference. But he's forced to marry her by Darcy. Yeah, he is forced. But my point is, you can't force a man to do something he doesn't want to do. He was paid off, but he still did it. Yeah, but I mean, that's almost like worse. Like, Yeah, but it's not worse for her. Like, that's what the way you got to think about it. And with Willoughby, nothing actually happened with Marianne. He was just like leading her on. And then... It got cut off. We're here. Frederick beds Isabella. Yeah. And she's got a good engagement set up. Yeah. He beds her. And then is basically like, this was just... Like, they literally have the one night stand in the hotel or whatever, wherever the ball is. Yeah. In a side room. And then she's like, oh, my God, we're engaged. And he's like, no, you need to go back to your friends before they realise you're missing. And, like, in that era... Shocking. Absolute fuckboy behaviour. She's ruined. Yeah, man. I mean, but no one should, like, no one needs to know. I guess that's, like, why he's trying to get her to go back to her friends. I mean, not that I think he really cares about her reputation, but, like... that's yeah, but- Like, because then she was, like, writing back saying, I hope that your brother hasn't misunderstood me because she's hoping that she can just, like, brush it over and pretend like nothing ever happened. Yeah, but I think that's the thing with these things. Like, if two people go off, like, someone would have seen them go into that room and, like, they're not stupid. Yeah. They know what's happened. And, yeah, like, I I kind of... I didn't like Isabella when we first started, if we're moving on to the female characters. We... We know how I feel about Carrie Mulligan, generally. <laughs> she seems to be turning up a lot. Like Yes, I know. <laughs> Bethany mentioned that she doesn't like Carrie Mulligan, and then I watched a, a film, The Dig, with Rafe Fiennes, and she was in it. And then we watched this one, and unbeknownst to us, Carrie Mulligan was in it. So she's yes. just haunting us now. She heard we she heard we were talking shit, and she's come for us. But I, I really did. She turned it around in this. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I don't. I don't mind her. I don't I I don't like it when she's kind of typecast in these very like fragile little quiet woman roles. 
but I enjoy it when she's kind of a bit more she's got a bit more kind of personality and yeah I think she kind of plays the bitchy mean girl quite well because that's kind of what she did in the beginning yeah and it kind of evolves and I think there probably was a real friendship there a little bit yeah because she did intend on marrying Catherine's brother so they were gonna be together for a while but then Obviously, the whole thing with Frederick Tilney, Captain Tilney, happens. And I I did feel sorry for her because, obviously, like, that's the worst possible thing that could happen to her. Yeah. But also, part of me is, like, she was just, get, like, because she's, she's supposed to know the ways of Bath, isn't she? Yeah. So, but, yeah, he's, he's a definite wrongling because he has absolute no care. Because at least Wickham, he didn't just, like, pull her into a room. Yeah. He kind of ran away with her. Well, like, the implication is that Captain Tilney likes the conquest of it. So, and his sister already knows that he's, like, done this with multiple women. But then that's the same with um, Wickham, because he did that with um, Darcy's sister, didn't he? Yeah. And we're never quite sure whether anything happened with Darcy's sister or whether... She just went to run away with him and it got stopped. But that's also, yeah, like, that's Wickham's M.O., he runs away with the young women. Yeah. This guy just takes them into a room, has his wicked way, and then yeah. comes them back. Yeah, he kind of, yeah, like you say, it's quite well known that he likes the conquest of it. He likes um, pursuing the women. That's the, the thrill of the chase. Yeah, but then she, uh, the sister, um, Eleanor, described Isabella as an easy conquest. Yes, that is true, which I feel like was a little harsh. but. Yeah. But also, she was very, like, in the sense that she wasn't really trying to resist it at all. So in a way, like, if we're going literally, she was quite easy as a conquest. Yeah. I also do feel a bit sorry for her because Isabella is just kind of cast aside. Yeah, well, like, that's the thing. I mean, like, to be a woman in Austin times, especially when they don't have a fortune or anything, it's like, oh, this this very rich first son who is a captain is clearly very interested in me. He's very handsome. Like, you take the chances you're given. Yeah, and this is just after she's found out that Catherine's brother James doesn't have a lot of money. So yeah. she's she mentions it like throughout the film that she's not bothered by money, but it's very clear that like she is and it's a huge yeah. part of what she's doing. Yeah. But then, so like, yeah, you had the three main men who were Henry Tilney, Frederick Tilney, and John Thorpe. And then you have essentially the sisters. Yeah. <laughs> Where you have Eleanor, Catherine, and Isabella. Yeah, we've talked a lot about Isabella, but Eleanor, I thought you don't get a lot of new friendships in Austin between women that are good. Yeah. Like, you get Charlotte and Elizabeth in Pride and Prejudice, but they're friends before the story takes place. Yeah, usually when a woman makes friends with another woman, it's because she has some kind of interest in her man or her an agenda of some sort. Yeah, so it's quite nice to see Eleanor seem to genuinely want to look out for Catherine, regardless of what her brother's intentions were. Yeah. On either side. So she she seemed very much, but also there's this kind of like slight backstory. I don't know how much bigger it is in the book of Eleanor not being able to marry the man she loves. Yeah, and I want to know, did she ever get to marry the man? Because yeah. I think I missed that bit. I was too distracted by the weird kissing. 
<laughs> yes, because Henry gives up his fortune to marry Catherine, this elevates Eleanor's status or status and um, she gets more money so she's able to then marry who she likes and not have to worry about that aspect but as you were talking about it this is the first so I really did like Felicity Jones as Catherine Morland I think she did that very like innocent naive girl thing very well yeah well I mean like and I wanted to say about that because I mean and that's it's gonna kind of come up in when we're talking about costume I guess but like it's very much because it's a parody on the gothic uh, genre and the gothic genre is very much about like purity being kind of like defiled by you know um whatever and so like yeah. she has this she has this like very pure like sweet naive image and it's very much like harped upon in the like oh you think everyone's got such a pure heart just like you do she's like wearing white all the time she's got a cross I remember like the 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 thing at the beginning where she's in the carriage and she's imagining that the the, like a highwayman will like capture them and he like holds up her cross just to show the audience that she's got a cross on because she is pure (laughs) <laughs> yes like that's the thing that what I quite like is that whenever she has these fantasies that are kind of based off the books that she's reading I think yeah and she puts real life characters in the place with her as the like she's basically just having a bunch of sexual fantasies throughout the film yep and very like either she's trapped and they have to come and like they're they're a bit weird as well because sometimes they're like oh he wants his wicked way with her and she's like getting off on that yeah and it's like a bit like blurry lined yeah but i suppose that is the whole genre isn't it yeah maybe that's why that makes a lot of sense of why this film was a lot more risque if that's what she was doing because like the whole isabella and Frederick thing you in all other books it's implied but never spoken about with this one is very much this happened and now she's ruined yeah and that's why like she's kind of imagining all of these um like dark you know sordid things happening but then she ends up with the vicar who is like kind of the opposite of that yeah which is like all well all's well that ends well she wanted to have a dangerous time and she wanted there to be secrets and um murders and mysteries but actually there there isn't really yeah and that's the thing but what we do get at the end which is what we haven't had so far except for clueless is kissing kissing we finally got some kissing it was weird kissing it was weird it was so weird when it starts because they're kind of like they're like uh, 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 they're sort of like (laughs) i wish that we had the camera on right now but they're like kind of like sort of um duping yeah (laughs) oh it's so weird I, i was literally like what are they doing but then as soon as they kind of meet they get it together a little bit and then they have that like... And then she pushes him into the bushes and I'm like... Pushes him against a tree. Yeah, man. I was like, well. But also, she was... How old is she supposed to be? 18, he's 26. But I think this takes place over a long period of time. Mm. Because isn't she said to be 15, 16 at the beginning? 
I don't know if she is said to be or whether we just assumed that. I thought someone said it. Maybe we just assumed it. Cause I, but then I was just thinking, like, normally they go to Bath for the season, so they wouldn't have been there particularly no. long. Doesn't but, yeah, like so it. she's apparently 18. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and he's 26. That is weird, but it's also, like, common the time. for the era, I yeah. suppose. And it's less weird than we've had before. <laughs> yeah. At least he's not her dad's stepson. Yeah, or, you know, yeah, Colonel Brandon and Marianne. Yeah. Um, although, yeah, like, I think also the age gaps are always there. Like, Liz- Lizzie Bennett's supposed to be, like, 21, and Darcy and Bingley are, like, in their 30s. But it's different because they're in their 20s by that point. Yeah, that's the thing. So you feel very differently about it. and But also, because the character is supposed to be super naive. Yeah. The side characters. I think we've kind of spoken we've kind of spoken about the side characters. Because I'd, I'd well, kind of we haven't spoken about the dad. The the Tilney father. Yes. Uh General Tilney? I think I think that's his he He's got his own Darth Vader like march whenever he comes in. Yes. And he's like <laughs> I don't even know what it was, but and he's got a very frowny face. He's just like constantly very dramatic and angry looking. And yeah, he's just like a morally bankrupt character. Like you, you can just tell immediately that. know as well because he looks so weird and scary. And like obviously Frederick is morally bankrupt towards like he clearly gets it from his father. <laughs> yeah. Who has like no no cares in the world apart from money. No scruples. Yeah, and he um he kind of hears the rumour that Catherine is rich. Which yeah, everyone... John we still haven't figured out because John Thorpe tells General Tilney I'm gonna assume that he is General Tilney that um that Catherine is Catherine's uncle is rich, right? And it's like, if you're trying to, if you're trying to like marry her, then why are you telling the father of this guy who is clearly your rival for her hand? I think it's really mentioned that he did it because they're gonna find out that she's not, and it's gonna cause oh right, okay, yeah, cause issues. He didn't know at that time, did he? I think he has an awareness. I don't think. John Thorpe is super into the money aspect. Mm. I think he's more just interested in her. But I think that's maybe a problem with the film, like that we don't fully understand the dynamics of what's going on. Yeah. And that's probably to do with having to miss out plot things that would probably be a, a lot clearer in the book. Yeah, I'd be interested to actually listen to the audiobook because I'm too lazy to read it. But... Um... <laughs> No, definitely. I was like, I need to know what actually happens in the Maybe book. Maybe we now. need to have like a book club as well. <laughs> Where we actually do the books. And we then we could analyse the passages. It'll just be like English. Also, it'll be interesting because some of the lines they say, I'm like, I need to know if that was... In it. Yeah. Like, if that was taken directly from Jane or if they've decided to just go on one. But yeah, the father, t- father Tilney, I call him. General was, I think, a great. He's another villain. Yeah, he's a baddie. 
he's a baddie and he just and also they literally use the phrase emotional vampire i know like straight and i i predicted it i said at the very beginning i was like this this guy's an emotional vampire because because henry is like ooh, there's vampires in my house and you know that that's foreshadowing for the fact that his dad is toxic af yes and i think it's quite interesting that they kind of discuss that he's like my mother was very unhappy she loved him but he only cared about her money and he just kind of like sucked the life out of her and I was like I think I kind of consider the term emotional vampire it's quite a modern yeah term that kind of emotional was Jane Austen the first to coin that yeah and I thought it was kind of a recent realization that kind of emotional abuse is a thing yeah so yeah that's kind of been a very recent thing that we've kind of been talking about in society today and it's directly referenced I think referenced so much that it must be in the book it must be yeah because it's also part of the like gothic thing where she's 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 imagining like literal vampires and like murder and ghosts and stuff and because there's there's the conversation between her and um henry in the forest where he she's like oh but books aren't like real life are they and he's like well but they they are in a lot of ways like stuff that happens in books also happens in real life just not in the exact like very fantasy style way that you're imagining it to and that's kind of a theme yeah and it's very I just think it's very forward for considering it was written in the era like that just whole discussion and he yeah like he has his own like baddie music that comes on when he appears and he does seem to be even worse than Frederick because he just when he finds out Catherine has no money he chucks her out in the middle of the night and doesn't even makes her go on a Jane Austen version of a bus which is a yeah full on her own on her own a young woman on her own traveling across like well like the whole thing you were instantly worried about her because she's so pure and she's like a delicate flower. Also, didn't Jane only know like seven names? Yeah, I know. <laughs> or maybe so... these are people in her life that she's just maybe she's got a lot of opinions about. Yeah, maybe. So, what did you think of the enjoyability of the film as a whole? Like, do you think it stands alone without Jane Austen? And I'm I'm gonna just cut in and say right now, I think it does. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's a fun time. I think it's like it it does like stand alone because it because it's playing on the uh gothic genre and it's kind of playing around with the themes and I think that yeah if anyone had written it it would still be an enjoyable story. Yeah, and I think it's a bit of a like bold one. Yeah, it was it was um unusually horny. For a Jane Austen. Yeah. We were shocked. We, we were shocked. Uh, there was a lot of that uh, water emoji. It was like the whole thing. Like sometimes I'd be like, oh, dear, here we go again. Here we go. Because <laughs> every time she'd have these these fantasies, like every time it got me so good, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe this. Like this, like the, she's imagining Henry to be like a vampire or something. Or yeah. What I did notice though was when we kept thinking it was going to happen again, I was like, maybe this is an evolution of her personality, but they kind of dried up near the end. Mm. And we we saw them less, I'd say, in the second half when we got like four in the first half. 
Yeah, well, I guess like it's talking about like the uh, move from uh, like fantasy to reality and how like as a child you have these ideas about how life and relationships are going to be and then it moves towards a more like realistic lived experience. In this essay, I will. In this essay, I will. (laughs) I will. Thank you very much so yeah do you know what it wasn't one of those ones where they've that I think sometimes to a film detriment to a film's detriment they can focus too much on the aesthetics and um there's no substance to it yeah and it's just pretty and they didn't really do that here but I wouldn't say that the it was horrible to look at like they definitely no, I, think I didn't, I, I was like, oh, they could have done a bit better with the, um, like, the intro credits. When I first watched it, because we were looking for the 1987 one, <laughs> I assumed because the, the graphic design of the title credits was ugly, uh, <laughs> that it was from 1987, but it wasn't. And then the rest of the film is fine. Yeah, it's the graphics at the end, the credits at the end as well. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a weird font they use in the blue. And it's so basic it's as well. It's very like, yeah, and you just think, mm, first impressions are very important. Yeah, and they and they didn't really go along, but I think generally it was it was different as well. Mm. Yeah, like, that's what was refreshing to me, it's like it was going outside of the Jane Austen box a little bit because with Pride and Prejudice and then Sense and Sensibility and then kind of Emma as well in a way even though it was slightly different there is this kind of like formulaic thing that Jane Austen does and like it's still it is still within the Jane Austen kind of formula of like there's like a scoundrel and there's like a a nice leading man who's probably a but she definitely takes more risks she takes more risks she's exploring different themes to usual and like but um, yeah, I just yeah, like you say, it was just different. Like it was different. You had the gothic themes throughout, which was very not Austin, 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 um, very not Austin. And you had a lot more of the scandal, like a lot more of the scandal. You had a, more, a lot more sex just being talked about openly, rather than just being alluded to. Mm-hmm. So I, we've got to. I might. I might need to make a jingle for this bit in future episodes. We're now at the star signs of the characters. Star signs, star signs. I haven't star thought about the star signs yet, <laughs> but I'm going to. Okay, so. Mm. I think Catherine is a Pisces. Yeah, you know what? You're right. You're right. Yeah. She's Pisces AF. She is floaty and emotional. Yeah. And and like dreamy. She's constantly dreaming. Yeah, got that classic thing of not being grounded in reality. Yeah, yeah. Pisces, Pisces, Pisces. Um, agreed. What do you think of Henry Tilling? Because my immediate reaction was maybe a Capricorn. Yeah, but so I think you just think you think that. But I don't think he is a Capricorn. I think he's like a Cancer, maybe. Yeah. No. As I said it, I was like, he doesn't. All he's got of a Capricorn is the grounded. Yeah. No. He's loyal. He's loyal like a Cancer. He's emotional. He's very like nurturing. Um. He's just yeah no, and then like obviously he got like when he was feeling vulnerable 
about like her calling out his dad or implying things about his dad like he did get a bit petty like cancers will get petty or like spiky when you kind of cross them I think maybe Eleanor has a very nurturing side to her as well yeah yeah that's also true hmm what what is she because I feel like she's not a cancer I thought she might be a Virgo, but then I was like, mm. yeah, no, I can, I can see that. She's also like, she's kind of like non-confrontational in a lot of ways. She's really like kind, but she also says things very matter-of-factly. Yeah, that is true. Maybe she is a Virgo. I don't know. Usually, I get strong Virgo vibes from people. She kind of gives Catherine very matter-of-fact advice about things. She like when she's talking about Frederick, she's like Frederick likes a conquest. He's not going to marry that girl. Yeah. And when they're talking in the woods, she's like, "It must be nice to be able to marry who you want to marry." Yeah, she says the shit. Yeah, like she doesn't. She doesn't really hold back, and but she's like kind, and it comes from a very much yeah, I want to help you place, and like. And she definitely gets very motherly, like when she's sent away by, yeah, when Catherine's sent away by their dad, she's like, "I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna give you some money so that you don't get stuck." Yeah, no, and, I see that. Yeah, so I kind of think she's a Virgo, but maybe with some other signs that kind of heart that um, softens her edges. <laughs> yeah, because I think I think she's maybe got some Libra in there as well, because she's quite like non-confrontational in a lot of ways. I mean, she says the stuff that needs to be said, but, like, she's not gonna, uh, she, like, keeps the peace between her dad and, like... What about John Thorpe? John Thorpe, I think, is an Aries, because he's just, like, straight up, just, he's just like, this is me, this is who I am, like... what? That's such a chaotic energy. He does, and, well, and he's also, it's a cardinal energy. Um, Cardinal, for those of you that don't know, is, like, basically, there's different kinds of, uh, like star signs cardinal signs are ones that really like get things started they get up and go they're kind of like you know cardinal is like a general so um he's got that he's got that vibe of like I'm really motivated I'm gonna make something happen um he's also just like this is who I am like when she's like you lied to me about the fact that Henry and um Eleanor were going somewhere else and you got me in the carriage and he was like yeah I might have lied to you but it was only because I wanted you to come in the carriage with me like he's just totally like this is this yeah. is me like I'm totally he I think is, he's Mary's he is like a loose cannon throughout yeah. the whole thing to like everyone around him like even his sister he just seems- does whatever the fuck he wants and also <laughs> she says she says like oh yeah John says a lot of things <laughs> like he's just He's saying whatever he wants to say. Yeah, because Isabella comes across as quite manipulative, or we're, we're supposed to think that she's quite manipulative. Yeah. In the way that she works, but it doesn't seem to work on John, who just kind of goes where he likes, does what you want. Yeah. And she just kind of accepts it, which I quite enjoy, because that's the thing. Like, the more we talk about him, the more I'm like, John isn't really a bad guy. He's just an idiot. He just idiot. varies. Yeah, he's just a bit of an idiot. Like, when he, yeah, like, the whole carriage thing isn't cool, but, like, he's just like, well, I wanted to hang out with you and I don't like Henry Tilney, so (laughs) what did you expect me to do? I I also wonder if um, Isabella is a bit of a Leo. Yes, I see that, actually. 
just because she's got her kind of pride and she's like she likes to be looked at she loves the kind of like yeah to to be kind of the center of attention in a way yeah and also like quite the way you say like Leah's like to be center of attention but also I think they're very good at it yeah yeah they thrive in the limelight and she yeah, yeah. she thrives at being like the leader of like yeah kind of leading Catherine into society and like being like I I know what I'm doing follow yeah, me exactly yeah and I think yeah I think that is a very um Leo thing like she's a good leader and she's good at taking control of the situation but she just got in over her head really yeah but I would say I would say they're the characters that we're most able to do it for. Everyone else, I feel like you don't see enough. Now that's settled. Now that's settled. Um, so the next thing we normally talk about is how accurate to the book it is and does it have an Austin Lee vibe. Now, neither of us have read the book, so we can't answer that. We'll get back to you on that. Tune in next time. <laughs> I think that's probably a credit to the film, though. That yeah, we, yeah, because it drew me in. So do you think the story stands up? We've done that. No. like the Yeah, like... Oh, I see. Like, if these occurrences were to happen in modern day, in real life, would they be as fun to watch or would would we be horrified? Hmm. I mean... I feel like, if anything, the ages made it come off better because, say, if... um, someone broke off an engagement because they had a one-night stand with someone it would be less bad now yeah it adds drama to the situation and also there's the whole thing about money and like people's parents not allowing them to marry because of like money problems yeah I kind of think if anything in the modern day probably tames it down a bit yeah and obviously the age difference is a bit awkward, but it's not the worst we've had. So even 18 and 26, you're probably not going to be... At least she's, like, of age. Yeah, like, she's a legal adult, so yeah. you're kind of like, well, what she does in her own time is her own thing. Snogging <laughs> vicars in the bushes. And, like, yeah, like, that's the thing. I don't think they're a terrible couple, because that's kind of what you got to think about it. It's like, sometimes it works. Yeah. And I will not judge that. Either way, we think the story stands up today, and um, I don't think it's aged badly as an interpretation. <laughs> no, no, I think it would have been fine, but you'd have to do quite a lot of... Uh... If this film was released as it is, nothing unchanged in 2021, I think, other than maybe the graphic design... Mm. I'd still, I'd still watch it. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be all right. I think it would do all right. Like, obviously, the quality of the filming, but if we were going to imagine it was filmed with 2021 cameras. Yeah. And had it in HD kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I think it would do all right. Like, I really don't think, like, there are some adaptations where you watch it and you kind of cringe. Even in Clueless, we were like, Ugh. yeah. That would have to be changed if it was going to be re released now. Yeah. Well, this I don't think it has to be. In fact, it's timeless. I'm going to just put it out there. We, I mean, we know Jane is timeless, but I would say the story of Northanger Abbey in itself is timeless. And Honestly, easily- what a hidden gem, because I just, I, I never had the inclination to read or watch this because it's called Northanger Abbey. Do not care yeah. about an abbey. I don't think the abbey really features. I mean, it does feature in that she stays there, but like it's very much 
like the story's set there and that's about it. Oh yeah, and we need to know if Henry Tilney really does say in the book Northanger Abbey would be a great title for a book because if so, we need to know. I have st- every yeah. adaptation we watch. I have more respect for Jane, <laughs> and are absolutely not giving a shit. <laughs> like how she calls every great character Jane. Yeah. If there's a perfect character, it's called Jane. Yeah. Every rake is in the military. And um, she's just like, that's an absolutely great name for a book. And that's why part of me is like, it could 100% be in the book that that's written down. Yeah. Also, it's not a great name for a book. I disagree. I'm sorry. I disagree as well, because it makes it sound boring. It does. And we, this was the only one I don't really know about. Like, so you've got Sense of Sensibility, Pride and Prejudice, and Emma, and I think they're the most famous three with Pride and Prejudice at the top, obviously. Yeah. And then you've got Persuasion, Mansfield Park, and Northanger Abbey. And I would say... Anything named after a place name, I don't give a shit. Like, even looking at... So I've got a list of adaptations. It's been the least adapted. There's only three. Yeah, honestly, it's been so slapped on. And that's Jane's fault, okay? she She's saying that this is a great name for a book, but honestly, don't call it Northanger Abbey. Yeah, she's got... There's, call there it are, Emotional Vampires in Bath. Yeah, there was just so many different... Or love and fantasy. Anything would have been better than a place name. Cut but, those yeah, toxic people yeah. out of your life, Henry. That's what it should be called. It's a bigger. It's not as big a character as you expected to be. I kind of thought the whole thing was going to take place at Northanger Abbey. I know. Well, I mean, some of it did, but not most of it did not. Yeah, like that's the thing. The majority actually happened in Bath, and only. I mean, we don't know if that that was the film, though, do we? I like. Uh, from a psychoanalysis point of view, I think it's amusing that she had that dream about being in the bath while she was in Bath, and then Henry took her out of Bath. <laughs> while she was naked literally in the well in in the dream he like takes her hand and takes her out of the bath and then he's like come with me to north hanger abbey it's outside of bath when he does that is he he's in his full vicar garb yeah with his weird vicar hat on and i like he doesn't wear the hat at any other point no except in the sexual fantasy it's because clearly she has a thing for vicars i was like that is a like i assume that's a film choice must be like yeah and well, it might like not that. be. I mean, look, we'll find out and we will let you know. Well, we, it's going to be, we are going to be a formidable team when we've actually read this book. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to, well, there'll be, there'll be other adaptations and we'll be able to let you know in the next adaptation. Yeah, there is, there is two more. I'm looking at it. There's the 1987 one, which we will track down. We'll find it. And there is a modern one. Oh. There's one modern one. Okay, okay. I'd never heard of it before doing my research, so no harm to it. I don't think it was very successful. <laughs> God, we were, we were trying to get a bad one and we failed miserably. We really did fail miserably, but I'm glad. I bet Felicity Jones is pleased. <laughs> yeah, she just she's just smiling to herself right now, knowing she did a job well done. She's really famous now as well. Um, so the costumes. Oh, yes, the costumes. And I wouldn't say, other than, why did they make Isabella Carrie Mulligan's costume so booby-ish? <laughs> I think it's to show that she's a bit of a, um, she's a bit of a Leo. She likes to be, 
As, um, to show as my parents parent would say, a bit of a girl. A bit of a girl. <laughs> That's their phrase. Or, or if, like for the male version, a bit of a boy. Oh. That's their phrase for when... Um, I've never heard of that one before. Not ashamed of conquests or whatever. A little bit <laughs> promiscuous. Promiscuous girl. Maybe yeah, more loudly than Catherine. Yeah, well, that's the, the. I think that's the implication because also her like hit her like frocks and stuff are kind of like fancier looking. Catherine's very like um like covered up in a lot of ways. She's got her like cross on her chain, like her chest is very covered. She's got her little like bolero things on with the dresses like. Isabella's wearing very flowery ones. Catherine's very plain. Um, she's wearing white a lot. She's got that one bonnet that she wears pretty much the whole time. Did enjoy the matching top hats though. I did love that. Did love that. Riding together. Yeah. And then we also have that very intense moment. Yeah, Sing where he's wiping that. some mud off her face. Yeah, but what I think this film did fail on, and I really enjoyed the film, I think it failed the chemistry test. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I think I wasn't maybe attracted because, again, I always put myself in the situation of the protagonist when I'm watching these films. <laughs> so I'm like, in my head, I'm like, you are, like, you're seeing it from, from um, Catherine's point of view, aren't you? Yeah. So you're kind of living it through her, her eyes. And yeah, I think they failed, like, the actors were brilliant individually but they just weren't they didn't have the chemistry yeah they didn't have that je ne sais quoi (laughs) I mean at the end a little bit I was like oh they seem to get it together in the final five seconds five seconds the lead up to the kiss was horrific it was horrible but I feel like quite realistic for people that have never kissed each other before and are sort of not sure yeah, it was weird. It was, it was so weird. weird. I was like, oh, God, this is embarrassing. It was realistic, though. Like, Yeah, it was because also in that age, the age difference doesn't matter. Henry Tilney has probably never kissed anyone either. Yeah, or, like, maybe, like, well, yeah, he's a vicar as well. Yeah, so, like, if, if he's a, a good boy, I did that with quotation marks. Good boy. He's a good little boy. <laughs> if he's, um, if he's, like, a good boy in Regency terms, yeah, he wouldn't have kissed anyone else. Yeah, so, and then they start making out against the tree, they fully get into it immediately. And I suppose, I suppose that's her, like, getting her romantic fantasy in real life, they needed yeah. that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I think, I just had that sudden realisation, I was like, that's what was missing from this film. Yeah, then there needed to be, because there was, it, like, like we said, the film is very horny, but it's like, they're not horny for each other. They're just, yeah. just individually. I mean, she's horny. He's not really horny. Well, we don't know. We well, yeah, he, he might be. But like, with when you're in Pride and Prejudice, you can tell that Darcy is horny for her. Yeah, I think they're trying to portray it. He's, he he does cool. a lot of like kind of um, smirky smiles at her, where he's like, mm-hmm. "Oh yeah, you no, know, there was the sexual thing. There was the sexual way he put the the spoon in his mouth really sexually while making eye contact with her." Like, you know that bit in Clueless where Cher comes down the stairs and we see Josh's face? Yeah, and he's like... And we know, look on his face, that he's in love with her, yeah? What I think is all those creepy looks that Henry Tilney does is him trying... He's trying desperately. ...to do those looks. 
but it's failing. not there. No. He's smiling too much. If you were that in love with her, you'd be like, Ugh. oh, no. And, like, yeah, they just failed the chemistry test. Because with Isabella and Frederick, you get it a bit better, I think, that mm, they're yeah, yeah. fancy ever. Yeah. Well, Carrie Mulligan is definitely better at showing that she fancies Frederick than... Because even with Catherine, I was like, does she fancy Henry Tony? Like, at the beginning. Yeah. You're like... They're just having a funny conversation. And I'm like, is she into it? But, like, yeah, the sparks aren't flying. <laughs> no. I think that's a fair point. Fair point. Um, so, to race it, what do you think? Again, <sighs> we tried to find a bad one. I really- just... I know. I, and I, I'm just going to have to give it, like, another seven. I'm gonna go higher, I think. I like, and yeah, I feel like I'm being, I'm being quite modest because I'm like trying to not rate everything like eight. But I think I'm gonna go for a nine, which I don't think I've ooh, done. Like, I mean, yeah, no, I like to be fair. I think that like I was more thrilled by the story, but I'm like, is that because I actually didn't know what was gonna happen in the story? But then I didn't really know what was gonna happen with. Isn't that the idea? You go in blind well yeah but then that was with sense and sensibility I kind of knew what was going to happen even though I didn't know the storyline yeah exactly I just already knew whereas with this one yeah so maybe no maybe you're right actually I feel like maybe I'm just being hard on it because I was trying to find only pitfall it had was the lack of chemistry yeah was the lack of chemistry I mean that is quite a big pitfall though it is, and that's why I was like, am I being over generous with the nine? I think I would give it like a, a 7.5 or an 8. But I would say I still loved it. Same. I mean, like, I loved it so much that I want to read the book. So I think, like, actually, yeah, I have to give it an 8 for that. Because I didn't care about reading Sense and Sensibility. It's so good. Like, so I think with a lot of these films, the sexual tension holds up the otherwise yeah like, exactly and so there's you just don't care that they like there's like weird budget like low budget scenery yeah or like although we did love pride and prejudice 2005 i feel like you miss massive chunks of the story but you don't care because you don't care because they're just there's just like yeah kieran like mcfadden's chemistry is piping hot all the way through spicy yeah, and even Bingley and um, James. um James's as well. So this it did miss it, but I don't think the film lacked anything because of it. It was only if you're looking for a romance, you would be disappointed. I think. I mean that, but isn't that the whole point of this film? Is to have a romance. Well, I think it's more about what's realistic and what isn't. Well, yeah. To be fair, actually, it's about her kind of like. Uh, moving from childhood to adulthood and kind of like yeah well it's described as a coming of age film yeah that's I mean that's true actually and it is kind of similar to kind of Emma where it's it's about the actual like character development of the leading lady rather than like the romance between it's just such a shame with the one film that we got a hot kissing in it wasn't that hot I know so I'm going to give it a nine. You're giving it an eight. Did you decide? Yeah, yeah. I'm. I'm, I'm just saying. I hate. Um. I hate rating things. It's hard. We are going to have to circle back to Pride and Prejudice because there's so many more compared to so other adaptations. 
we don't want to get into a situation where we have to we watch ha- like 10 in a row yeah so we might have to do every other one <laughs> <laughs> there's so many I think because we we were torn last week and we didn't really mention it this week actually the lack of diversity in the film but um that's something that we we want in our films and I know that there is a kind of Bollywood version of Pride and Prejudice called Bride and Prejudice yeah so I think we should do that one and I think that will rejuvenate us a bit as well because give us some hope that isn't just going to be like tokenism like Emma yeah (laughs) hopefully anyway I haven't seen it fingers crossed so although that does mean we haven't had a bad one yet but it will come I'm sure it will come maybe Pride and Prejudice will be That's all from us for now. We'll be back next Thursday reviewing Bride and Prejudice. Please don't forget to review it five stars if your app allows and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to get in touch, please email us at austintranslationpod at gmail.com or austin underscore translation underscore pod on Instagram. We bid you adieu.